Welcome to the Victor Frankel Meaning Academy. We are your hosts of the Meaning Academy podcast, Dr. Daniel Franz and Dr. Baruch Halevi. In this podcast, we explore the insights and inspiration of Dr. Victor Frankel and all things meaning, purpose, and resilience. Thanks for joining us. And now let's begin our search for meaning. Hey all, welcome back to the Victor Frankl Meaning Academy. If you're watching us on video, then you'll see and be pleasantly surprised that it's no longer just myself and Dr. Dan, but we are joined in our virtual studio by our third co-founder of the Meaning Academy, Dr. Elise Cortez. Hey, Dr. Elise, how you doing? I am great. I'm here. How bad could it be? We're happy that you are here and you really bring up the quality of viewing for our <laughs> viewers. They're very grateful, no more uh, middle-aged balding men. So thank you for being here. Happy to provide the hair. <laughs> and so much more. And so I guess with that, um, maybe we'll just jump into our conversation and then it can bring everybody up to speed on what we're doing because it relates to what we're doing professionally, individually, and collectively with the Meaning Academy. We thought today we would talk about why we believe that Dr. Viktor Frankl's mission and message, which is coined or embodied, encapsulated in the term logotherapy, meaning-centered therapy, but we'll leave that open for interpretation and maybe we'll talk about that as well, why it's an idea whose time has come. It's an idea, I think we would all would agree, that whose time has always been but in some ways, I think particularly now more than ever, it's an idea whose time has come. So what do you all think about that topic and where do we go? I love it. I mean, so, you know, from my vantage point, you know, I, I think I remember first being becoming more acquainted with Dr. Victor Frankel's work in 99 when I entered my PhD program. And it just made so much sense. And then I brought him along over these last several years, of course, and my focus for his work is in the realm of work. And so that's why I call myself an organizational logotherapist. Um, so I'm not doing one-on-one work with, with, with clients like Dr. Dan does, maybe he works with families and groups, but I work, I use it in the principles of inside company walls, et cetera. And I just think that therapy through the logotherapeutic lens inside organizations is so necessary today. So that's that's my jam on the topic. Awesome. Yeah, we're we're going to come back to that. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's interesting, as I've shared many times, I, and as you said, B, um, it's a it's an idea whose time has always been there, but even more so now, post-COVID, the world we're facing, the work world we're facing. And I was thinking about that uh, preparing for today's show, knowing that we were going to have the lovely and brilliant Dr. Elise with us, the idea of how the three of us got together in, in working with this work world. Yes, I'm a trained psychotherapist. I've had a private practice for over a decade and, and been doing psychotherapy for nearly 25 years. And I was thinking about now, how did I find myself in this work world? And more than just working with individuals who come to me because they have issues with work and struggling to find meaning and, and purpose in their work, um, I, I've just found myself in different work situations as an EAP, as a consultant, and then to get paired with logotherapy and the likes of, of the two of you, it's, it's been fascinating, our different conversations and the idea that if we can bring logotherapy to the work world, to the people who, who leave the work world, what an amazing opportunity we have to share this idea with them 
and to allow them to take it through their organizations, to take it to even more people. Just kind of reflecting on that idea. This, this is an idea whose time has come. And the more we can get it out there to people in, in the workforce, in the work world, leaders in the work world, we can have an amazing, they can have an amazing impact on, on where, where culture goes, where society goes. So I'm looking at the screen, three pictures of us, obviously, and, and if they were circles, I'd merge them and see the concentric part of those circles. And I'd be interested to figure out with the two of you how we ended up coming from such divergent places, converging in this meaning meets the workplace vibe thing focus, because, I mean, Dan, you said it, you come from a therapeutic clinical sort of direction. I come from a pastoral, I mean, my past, my uh, doctoral degrees are in divinity and pastoral counseling. So very, I want to say very different, but certainly different. And Dr. Elise, I forget what you, what's your PhD in? Human development. Human development. So you're a little more in a line with probably getting to the workplace, but still probably wasn't a given. I mean, I'd like to hear from you always that you'd end up in organizational logotherapy. How did we all end up converging in this space? Well, I opted into you first, B. You know, remember we were both presenting our, our diplomate um, works here whenever that was a couple of years ago. And I immediately, what I opted into is your intelligence. Uh, I Your message just See, Dan, resonated told, with me. I told and, I've been telling Dan this the whole time. Right, right. Somebody, somebody got it. It was me. Uh, but uh, I, I opted into that. For me, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a killer thing for me. I mean, intelligence is, is where it's at for me. So that was how it started for me. But, but all beyond that, what really allured me was the depth that came with that. I, I, one of my top 10 values is intimacy. I like intimate, deep conversations with people I work with, people that I'm connected with, and I don't want any of the surface level stuff. So for me, that's where, again, that, you know, I think a lot of people, when they say they want want meaning, what they also mean is they want depth and substance and, you know, that chewy connection. And that's what I got from meeting you, B. And then, you know, you brought me Dr. Dan. And then I got this whole other level of this beautiful soul that's ministering to the world through the work that he's doing. And I just, these are just my people. That's all there is. Well, I wasn't fishing for compliments for both of us, but we will take it. I, <laughs> I swear this bald head just grew like five hat sizes. <laughs> right now. The ego is um, inflated. So I guess I'm going to challenge a little bit or maybe, you know, dig a little bit more into that as yes, thank you. And we don't say yes, but we say yes. And why, why work? Like, why did we end up in the workspace around logotherapy and not for instance, why didn't you end up in clinical work or one-on-one -on -one work? Or or maybe a better question is, why is this so perfectly suited for a work atmosphere? Okay, well, I'm going to first take that I, maybe the, 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 dealt, the hand that I was dealt. Um, my mom was married five times at the time she was 28, and I'm from the first marriage. The number five came into my world when I was in second grade, and that was like the jackpot. Um, he was a farmer from Central Washington State, really good human being and just it, just amazing. So what happened from that marriage and subsequent raising that he gave us is um, I got exposed to the what a work ethic of a farmer and then later a restaurateur looks like. Mm -hmm. And what that what that is, what that what that became for me is that work was never a bad four letter word. 
It was something that you did in service of your life, in service of others. It was a way of living and being. And I've kept that all the way through. So, so much of my mission today, because I, when I go into companies and I see literally how people are just literally hanging on for all it's worth to get to the end of the day or the end of the week, what I want is I want those people to come alive in work the way that I was able to come alive in work. And logotherapy is a fantastic tool to help them do that. That's great. Thank you. If I may, I want to dive into that because, <clears throat> excuse me, at least you really took me back to my past and how I found myself in the work world and in consulting with logotherapy in, in the workforce. Uh, you know, fresh out of grad school, I, I found myself, I wanted to be in this amazing adolescent substance abuse treatment program, but it was, it was corporate mental health. It was big business back in those days. We had sites all throughout the Midwest. And part of what we were doing, this was a treatment program rooted in the very poor, I'll just say poor, diabolical treatment methods of the 1970s and early 1980s, especially when it came to adolescence. So we had to go through a, a pretty significant clinical change process, but also an organizational change process. And we, I got to work with quite a few consultants on that. And I was just amazed at the work that they got to do and how then it wasn't just an individual process, but then it was a group process that filtered through all of these individuals as part of the organization. After leaving that uh, place of business and going into my own private practice, I just happened to find myself in these situations where I was consulting with management teams, leadership groups, different people like that. And I pulled a lot from those days, but I also had to do some really quick studying. Um, and then logotherapy came in and I thought, wow, this is, you know, between uh, the Myers-Briggs and logotherapy and different theories of, of organizational change and management and culture. It's just such a beautiful conglomeration of ideas that as we're, excuse me, as we continue to say, we take that out and, and if you can impact one person in an organization, that's the nature of organizations, right? They're interrelated. Individuals are interrelated. One person takes that idea and shares it with others. And you have this whole meaningful change that transpires first in a leader, then in a leadership team, and then the entire organization. So I'd like to merge sort of the two of your ideas. Um, I'll start with your Dr. Alicia Rom's fifth husband. Um, and that's that's a great image. Um, I call those I call those LA weddings when I used to officiate. So, so I'll see you back here in ten years, another ten years. Um, so um, I work with a couple farmers, um, Midwestern farmers. One's Iowa, one's Missouri, and um, you know they're evangelical, evangelical Christians. We really resonate. I'm a rabbi by training, so I really you know help them in their faith. But um, what I see with them, because then the rest of my clients are typical, you know, city folk. What I see with them is an organic relationship to their work, as opposed to I counsel a lot of men in particular, you know, who are corporate executive types and their life is compartmentalized. And what I see is such a healthy, organic relationship with work for my farmer clients versus my corporate clients I think that we're getting into some, you know, kind of this, this space in between all of us because I see the dangers of the corporate mindset without what we're offering. It's compartmentalized. And if you're compartmentalized, you're fractured, you're fragmented. And there's another word for that, you know, a lie, right? There's, there's a lack of truth, a wholeness, you know, the word integrity, whole. So if you're breaking that down and I'm at 
work this way and I'm at home this way and I'm at church this way and I'm at whatever, it takes a toll on the human condition. Is that is that like a good way to get us to a center place of how we ended up in work? I think that is phenomenal, B. I think that's one of the other things I love about you is your ability to uh, bring concepts into a, 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 a palpable, touchable place. I love that. So yes, I completely agree. And I think anybody's listening to this like, yes, I know what I know what you mean by that fragment itself. I know what that means. And I real, think real the, quickly, at least, can you and I just do this podcast and we leave Dan out next time? Because this is just awesome. Like, I have <laughs> so much praise in my work. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's my gem, right? That's part of what I was going to get to next, B, is I want part of the reason that I love logotherapy and I, love, I think it's so useful and applicable in the world of work and certainly corporate American work is and is the notion of of the empowerment piece. And I, I love that what we're doing through in, in through logotherapy is we're helping individuals to be able to connect with and and pull out their natural spiritual resources that are already there. I love that. That that's empowerment, I think, at its finest. So if we can actually help literally people come alive from the inside out by 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 recognizing their own already occurring spiritual resources that are there so that they can get in touch with them and then to be able to activate them when that's where the magic is. And that's why I love logotherapy. And if we can unleash that in the workplace, then we have a really good chance of changing the tide of what is otherwise a miserable experience for so many people who are actually working at work or inside corporate America. Agree so much. Um, Elise, can I can I get some positive? I'm gonna fish. Can I anything? Bald head? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Please don't. I, I, could, I could go on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Serious. And that's, that's the best part about working with the, the, all of us together. We have some amazing meetings and really leave feeling better. But I wanted to comment on that, that idea, Elise. Um, a lot of my work, you know, in my area, has been in uh, um, industrial manufacturing, right? Where the uh, the great author Seth Godin talks about the idea of you know people being used being treated as resources, being treated, you know, being dehumanized. And that's certainly where logotherapy comes in is rehumanizing work, bringing, bringing our best self, integrating our best self into work. As Dr. Frankel says in Doctor in the Soul, no matter what the job is, we still have the opportunity to be indispensable, to bring our unique selves to that role, to transcend the self and to invest in others, to invest in the company, to invest in the work that we do. So going back to the original question, that is definitely a reason I think logotherapy's time has come. We, I, I believe all of us have worked with either individuals or organizations that have truly robbed people of their souls, treat people as resources. And if we can help them to rehumanize that role, what, what an amazing impact that can be for, for individuals and for organizations. Yeah, I, you know, I want to I want to be mindful of not necessarily throwing corporations under the bus. Not that you are, but I, it's easy to do. I hear it with Big Pharma all the time. You know, Big Pharma also gave us aspirin. Like Big Pharma also <laughs> gave us a, a lot of good stuff. So we can't just like say it as you know we're, we're reducing it back to Frankel's wor words and world because there's no it. There there's people, and in those corporations, there's individuals who we've created you know, in the Enneagram world, the Enneagram three, the achiever. And, and I think of the achiever as, forget which somebody famous said it, but then Wayne Dyer regurgitated it. We're not human doings, we're human beings. And we've created this human doing culture, right? You are what you do. You are what you produce. 
truth is it didn't start in corporations. I mean, that's how our educational system now is set up. So we're like all culminating. And I just think for me, business is the outer most obvious manifestation of this fundamental problem that we have in America and the West and our society of do, do, do. And then, and this is why I get into Frankel, what happens when you can't do? What happens when the doing breaks down? What happens when you're no longer relevant because you can't do, or you get sick or you break or whatever, thousand things can happen. What are you? And I see this in the corporate space really just magnified, especially with guys, but men and women, in, uh, men in particular, men and women in general, when they retire after one of these positions of massive doing, then they don't do and then they don't know. And that's where I think for me, logotherapy really has so much to say. So I'm going to I want to jump on some of these ideas real quick while they're fresh. At least I, I may get myself in trouble with one of our uh, favorite listeners, the running man himself. When we talk about education, the running man is an educator. And uh, usually when he listens to the podcast and BNI comment on education, he has some very stern feedback for our inaccuracies. However, I know factually this is accurate. But going back to your point of this didn't start in the work world, it started in the education world. Why was our education world started, though, by Taylorism and, and uh, Henry Ford? to create people to work in factories. And I think we are seeing the culmination of that a hundred years later in both uh, a higher rate of, of youth suicide, of young adult suicide, of meaninglessness, of, of young people checking out of the workforce, volunteering to live in their parents' basements at the age of 30 and 35 simply to pay, play video games, um, which is just modern heroin, um, and, and avoiding these opportunities for meaning. Um, we need to change it. We need to change that in education and in the workforce. And Running Man, if you want to argue that, we can get together anytime. And I think we should have the Running Man on the podcast talking about education. To your point about Enneagram 3s in, in my world of the uh, Myers-Briggs, we call those the traditional male ESTJs, those extroverted, go get it, get out there. And at the expense of everything, um, do, 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 like you said, human beings versus human doings. Um, but as we talk, even an ESTJ can flex to the other side of being less driven, of being more focused on people and taking care of people. But we have to, we have to introduce these ideas. We have to work on them, and, and we have to continue to evangelize the power of logotherapy. Defy your letters, man. Defy your letters. MBTI, right? Meets the uh, defiant spirit. We're doing yep. it. Yes. Lisa, well, I got to, I got to, now it's, wait, pick me. It's my turn. I got, I got to talk. <laughs> um, so, so you just set it up beautifully, Dr. Dan, when you talk about Taylorism, because when, what you said before B was, you know, we're not picking on, on, on corporate America. And yet there is such an opportunity for it to develop because we are still, there's still so much of the industrial age left inside the way organizations are run, which is why the work that I know I've been personally doing, which is really helping to raise the consciousness of the leaders to, to develop inspirational leaders who know how to be able to create a work environment where meaning can be can, can be accessed. People feel like they're attached to something that's important and worth their one precious life, worth getting up for, worth persevering for. And so what's interesting from my vantage point is I see a, I can see a huge divide in the world of, of corporate America or organizations today. There are those that are reaching for what I call a modernized way of operating, which is to embrace meaning and purpose. They're trying to create a workplace where uh, Gen Y and Gen Z actually wants to come. Then there are the people who I just met yesterday 
who are still clinging to the standards of Wall Street. Let's let's you know squeeze every single last amount of energy that that we can out of these people so that we can get as much bottom line profit for our investors and our, and our owners as we possibly can. So I see that huge divide that's still out there, but I have hope, and maybe that's because I'm I'm a, I'm a seven. I'm an, I'm an enthusiast. Is I have hope that we can evangelize and create more of that modernized way of being in organizations so that people can really thrive at work. I do think that work is the greatest playground for us to be able to realize our potential. It has the most opportunity, the most ways to challenge us and be able to, to, to take us into that space. And yet it's being squandered by those organizations or those formats that are really designed just to sort of squeeze the life out of people versus infusing that life in them. Standing ovation, almost. Rob, right. Uh, yeah. Brings so, tears to my eyes, at least. So, yeah, yes. And um, I think we're getting to a point where you're going to have, as a corporation, you're going to have to address this issue because, and I think COVID changed so much. It did. Not the least of which is getting rid of these sort of artificial walls. Like I can go to an office and have an identity. I can be home and have an identity. And then, you know, got this COVID bomb dropped on us where it's like just exploding our false barriers and boundaries and borders and bleeding it all into like, what the hell am I? What am I doing? Where am I working from? Kids are, you know, home, I'm home working, et cetera. I think it was in some ways a blessing. I know people suffered, but our work in life as Dr. Frankel teaches or taught is to go into that suffering or that struggle and discover meaning waiting to be discovered. And I think there is meaning discovered in the COVID post COVID era um, that we are really starting to just see the bear the fruits of. So two interesting post COVID pieces of media I've seen maybe in the past 24 hours, certainly in the past week, one was an article and I can't remember the company probably doesn't matter. Um, during COVID. So that's it. This is or just slightly post COVID. So this is, this is amazing. We're saving costs, people working from home. That's it. Everybody we can, we're now a work from home organization. We can have in a meeting, you know, once a quarter. And then just in the past month, change that after people have already sold their houses, moved different places, altered vehicle, all of these kinds of things. And, and the, the, the employees are in an uproar. So you can't, you can't do that. You can't change things and, and change them in such a drastic way without realizing the impact on other human beings. I mean, talk about a, a fair degree of suffering without a plan. But the interesting thing I saw last night, um, I think it was on the football. Yes, it was definitely the, the opening of the National Football League season last night. Big, right? A lot of people watch this. You two are looking at me like you have no idea. Oh, I know, I know the Chiefs lost, not throw. It's, it's a brown ball, oblong, laces, throw, kick. Anyway, um, the point being, it's a large media situation. People, you know, advertisers know. And there was a vehicle advertised on there, an electric vehicle, that used the COVID situation. And it starts out saying, well, somebody got a call. Well, it looks like we all have to go back to the office. And everybody's getting in their electric vehicle uh, with all these new bells and whistles and packing up their home and taking it back to the office. And I was just fascinated by that, how work has changed and how we thought as, as we got through that suffering, we felt we were coming through and learning to change it for the better. But it seems we, maybe different workplaces need their own crisis to go through. Why would... Why would an organization cause these kinds of crises on other human beings, bring on that kind of suffering? All of that to say, I think one more reason logo therapy's time has come. 
managers, leaders, owners just need to know, know need to know the impact they have on other human beings. Yeah, I, I think um, logotherapy addresses really well, if not superior than anything else I found, that when circumstances are unpredictable, which honestly, they're always unpredictable, but we, we start lulling ourselves into believing, you know, this is the way work happens and this is the way the world goes. I think it's particularly well suited for addressing these turbulent times when, when change is bombarding us faster than ever before in human history, because you can't, you know, fundamental logotherapy 101, you can't shake, change your circumstances. You can only change your response to those circumstances. Okay. Yep. I'm coming in. So, so what I would add to that here that I, that from my vantage point, and I am, I'm, I'm a researcher. I mean, and I've had some amazing conversations with people about what has happened because of COVID pandemic. And part of what I've been able to discern, and this largely comes from McGowan and Shipley's work of this year, 2023, they're brilliant women. And um, they really sort of helped me better conceptualize and put together what I've learned. One is that there was already a lot of change happening in the the workforce up up to uh, COVID, and that was people were burnt out. They were there's been such a, a push for productivity and doing more with less. People were already exhausted. So by the time we got through uh, the pandemic, it, it it really did. It just really catalyzed a lot of that disconnect and some of the attitudinal changes that were already happening in relation to work. And so one of the things that these ladies say, which I think is really really profound, is plagues reorder society. So when you think about the bubonic plague, which really led to then, of course, the Renaissance, and then the, the 1918 Spanish influenza led to the, the Roaring Twenties. For us, what happened with it with the pandemic is that it really reordered, and, and that's when we got into the Great Resignation. People were quitting their jobs right and left because they said, "No, no, no, I don't want this anymore. I'm not willing to put up with this." So what I think is also fascinating about a major change that has happened out of the pandemic it used to be that we organized our whole lives around our work. Where we worked decided where we lived, where our kids went to school, and who we associated with. And today, I think what's happened, and again, other researchers also say this, is we now then want to organize our lives around who we're connected to. And that's why people move their homes. They want to be connected with people that were important to them or communities that called better to them, and then, and then build their lives around that. Again, all the more reason why I think logotherapy is such a great tool to be able to help manifest that, bring that together, and make it work. Because it's all about what are pe what people find meaningful in their lives, and being able to facilitate that. If organizations can facilitate that, they've got a better, much better chance of being able to keep them and activating their talents versus trying to make them again step away from what's important to them. No, 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 come back, leave all that all that beautiful stuff that you created aside you don't need that anymore just come back here and it's ridiculous i think it's asinine for organizations to go against that flow so so one of the things i hear you saying is you know we live in a fluid society more than ever before where the boundaries and the borders are they're just no longer they're porous they're no longer these artificial right. but i have a challenge for logotherapy because even the name is not fluid it is static because you're describing a great system for a workplace. Well, therapy, we don't do therapy in a workplace. So I think we have this kind of challenge to convey what logo therapy is in addressing that issue, but we have a branding problem. 
Dan, I know you got something to say on this one. I can challenge accepted, my brother, because it's right behind both of us. It's right there, man. There's not, uh, let's see, the Victor Frankel Meaning Academy, meaning, purpose, and resilience. Now, if we can boil that down to one word, that would be great, but I don't think we need to. I think that's what workplaces are looking for is meaning, purpose, and resilience. And maybe someday we can all dive into those very, the, the definitions of those very different words. But to those listening, I think those words probably call to you. You know, you may not know the exact definition or the different definitions we know, but it's there. No, I don't think we can sell logo therapy to what are you going to are we are we doing psychotherapy by the golden arches or by the Taco Bell logo? That's, you know, what many people think of as marketing and therapy, but meaning yeah, I'm gonna, meaning purpose and resilience this is what organizations are calling out to and at least to your point i certainly want to come back to branding but at least to your point um people are choosing their communities being connected over their work how amazing can it be and i've seen this in some organizations when the organization when the work is actually present in the community building both improving both some of the most meaningful or highly rated organizations actually spend a day a, a month in the community doing community building building mm -hmm. playgrounds and it's an amazing symbiosis between you know organization and community that you know you want to talk about retention what an amazing way to retain talent so branding how do we rebrand logo therapy to take it to who needs those that need it, to the organizations that need it. Well, I, I actually have a slightly different perspective on this. Not that it's not a challenge and it's not a but, but it's, it is definitely an and. Is I have long seen that logotherapy is it is, you know, all three of us are doctors. It, it I do think that we are we are providing, you know, we are doctors that that organizations can consult to, and we're also ministers. B and I certainly are, and and uh, but anyway. So I do think that it's a combination of we are doctoring and ministering necessarily to organizations. Um, and, and when you look at it that way, that there's a nurturing element to that. There's a caring element to that, that, that I stand for. And I know you do, too. If you look at it from that vantage point, we're not feeding organizations over the head. We're not telling them you were wrong. We're, we're nurturing. We're caring for you to be able to steward an organization that is going to be much more vibrant, your people will be much more alive and want to stay with you if, if we can make these changes, these modifications, if you will, to the way that you otherwise operate. So to me, that's that's what I would want for the underlying branding, something about nurturing, caring, ministering. Yes, nurturing, caring, meaning, purpose, resilience, right? Nobody argues these terms or these ideas or the practices and strategies that we bring. And so I guess it's just important for our <clears throat> growing audience of millions. I think we get what fifteen million a day. Is that right? Oh, no, like that. We're we're up there with Rogan. Uh, that was Rogan. Sorry. Um, <laughs> whoever is listening, and we know there are quite a few people listening, that this is about meaning, purpose, resilience, caring, compassion. Doesn't matter what you call it, right? It matters that you find it, that you experience it, that you cultivate it, that you share it, that you live it. And so we're working here at the Meaning Academy to. Take Dr. Frankel's amazing work, inspiration, um, strategies to bring it out to the marketplace in modern ways. And it's a work in progress. Well, you know, if we maybe take, and I, I know it's in Dr. Frankel's work, but also a lot of the other logotherapy communities. If we take one of his original ideas that it's not just logotherapy, but it's LTEA. Do you guys remember that one? Logotherapy and 
existential analysis. Mm. Now, logotherapy rolls off the tongue a lot quicker than you know existential analysis. That might be terrifying to some people, organizations, but that's truly, I mean, think about it this way. We're going to come in, we're going to help you and analyze the existence of your organization, your systems of interaction, of communication, of conflict, of culture, of all these different variables to make them better. All right, so how do we make that word simpler? Yeah, when you say that, I think of like a, a guided psilocybin uh, trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming, um, B. That's coming. It should be online <laughs> next year. Yeah, man, let's do existential analysis. But you're right. I mean, the words speak for themselves, right? To analyze why. Your why. Why? Yeah. Why are you here? I mean, and, you know, if, if um, uh, Simon Sinek can, you know, say it and run with it, well, we can run with it, too, because this is the essence of logotherapy, right? Why? And if you know your why, Frankel quoting Nietzsche, you can endure your how. So, but you got to know your why. You know how many people, I mean, we've had this conversation, Dan and I, how many people I ask, what's your why? And they look at me with, like with a blank stare, like, you mean my company's why? No, I mean your why, Mr. or Mrs. Executive. I don't know what you mean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would wonder how many actually know what the company's why is either, other than, well, we are here to produce X. Like, no, no, there's so much more. Well, that, there's jargon. They can, you know, tell you what the the consulting team came up with. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, we, we will bring all this together. I, I have been doing this kind of work, helping our organizations to articulate their purpose for a, a while now, and it's magical to get to do. And I remember distinctly working with one, one organization and they were, they're a financial services marketing company and very, very successful. 10 years in, I'm brought in to help them do this. And you know, it's there's it's about wild life scratching together to determine how do you articulate that why. That's the magic of it when you do you do it together, and that's also the meaning part of it, right? Doing it together. And what was so beautiful about that was we did this together, and the co-founder, this is a husband-wife team, she got completely moved to tears. She goes, "Yeah, that is who we are. That's what we're doing in the world." And you know, when you get to that point, you can do almost anything. Yeah. Right. And so but you got to get present to that. You got to that's what you're what you're doing is you're basically opening up the chest plates. So you can feel the heartbeat again. That's what you're really doing. Yeah. Um, and the when, when people when you're when your people can get present to that, that is the most delicious kind of meaning to know that I'm part of something that is really important in the world and it matters to me and I get to be part of powering this in the world. That's the gem. That's where we're going in life. That's the best you can do. Well, that's probably a good segue to wrap up because the heartbeat of the running man is probably, you know, like <laughs> Max, he's a middle-aged dude and we don't want him to go too hard and too far. So <laughs> running man, we're thinking about you. But, um, you know, let's, let's just kind of sum up. And, and what I just heard in that is there's a, um, when, when you know your why, it doesn't change whether you're doing it at your work, whether you're doing it at your home, whether you're doing it at your church, whether you're doing it out to the marketplace that doesn't change. And when people start getting into the why, you start realizing um, no more compartmentalization, living a holistic or integral life. And I do believe meaning, purpose, and resilience is exactly that. It gets you back to that, that space of of your why. Dan, Elise, final thoughts for our listeners. Well, to Elise's point, that idea, and I think I, I heard you say that previously at least, but also something we've talked about quite often in, in different meetings and in different uh, mastermind groups, that idea of scratching the itch. We all have that itch individually 
But then especially if we are leading or managing or owning an organization or a company, we have that itch to find meaning, to know what our purpose is. But if we're not scratching and if we're not asking somebody just what the heck is existential analysis and what is my purpose, it's really hard to do by ourselves. And I think that is what we are on the cusp of doing is bringing, bringing that, uh, that back scratcher, I guess, that, that ability to scratch the itch and find meaning and define purpose and build resilience. I'm so excited to be a part of this with you guys. So thank you. Likewise. And what I will say is uh, to, to build on what your, your points were, Dan, is that, and what I've discovered is that in order to be able to scratch that itch, to even get to the place where you start scratching, is you need to first get off the hamster wheel and, and so that you can be present to that. And part of our work here is to be able to provide a mechanism, a platform, a way that people can engage with us, organizations can engage with us to be able to start that process. Because if, if first, if you don't even know, like to, to B's point, purpose, what's purpose? What's mine? There's, well, first you have to get into a space where you can actually entertain the question. So I'm grateful that I'm, I get to be part of this, this, this group where we're actually putting forth the platform, the process, the mechanism to literally awaken people from the inside out again. Outstanding. This is a beginning, not an ending. So we're going to continue this conversation, I'm sure, in a thousand different ways. Yes. For those who are listening, um, you can find us over at meaningacademy.com, where you'll get all three of our respective websites, as well as some of the things we're up to here at the Meaning Academy. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we look forward to continuing this dynamic trio, no longer the dynamic duo. Thanks for joining us, Elise. Thanks for having me. All right, Dan, Elise, live with meaning, purpose, and resilience to you and to all our listeners, because that's what this is all about. Take care, guys. You've been listening to the Meaning Academy podcast with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Franz and Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you found meaning in what you've heard, please leave us a five-star review and be sure to share this with fellow meaning seekers. And don't forget to check us out at TheMeaningAcademy.com where you can learn how to join our weekly virtual and complimentary meaning masterminds. Until the next time, get out there and live your purpose and discover your meaning.